Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 191 for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me, as always, is another year of Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I have included another trip around the sun. It is true. And if you'd like to hear a little bit more about that, what happened on my birthday on Friday, as well as uh, Johnny and I talking about our favorite video games of our childhood, then you should listen to The Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast that you can get every week by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. And it is the first episode of May. So a huge shout out to all of our patrons, thank you so much for your support. It makes this podcast possible. And it also means special episodes like the Chunk Mail Dispenser, an all-email episode, and the monthly Minecraft Hangout will be coming later on this month. Uh, usually the Chunk Mail Dispenser is the third week of the month, and the monthly Minecraft Hangout will be scheduled in our Discord, so members can keep an eye out for that. The mon monthly Minecraft Hangout is for patrons only, so if you're interested in taking part, head over to patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. You've already given us a bit of a preview, but uh, did your birthday involve you playing Minecraft at any point? It did indeed, because uh, my birthday was on the Friday, and I mean, I had to work half the day anyway, because I had other things to do that were podcast, and, and I had to mail some books and some other kind of related things, uh, and then I decided to stream on my birthday. And I want to give a, a big thank you and shout out to everybody that came by. It was a really, really fun day. Uh, a lot of just really generous folks. Uh, the community was growing. Uh, and, uh, I had a number of people from the Spawn Chunks community come by for the first time specifically to say happy birthday. And then they hung out and watched some of the streams. So that was really cool. I, I really appreciate people taking the time, especially on, I was streaming at one o'clock at landing on a Friday. So that's like 12 Eastern. So it's the middle of the workday. So uh, for most people in North America anyway, so for anybody that took the time to come by, maybe on your lunch break or whatever, I really appreciate it. It was a really fun afternoon. Uh, Pix, you came by and saw what I was doing on the Citadel as we were planning out West Hill and, and stuff. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's always always nice to stop by. I always enjoy seeing the the progress on this. Uh, after having heard you talk about it, you know, week to week on the on the podcast, it's always really cool to to see some of this stuff brought to life. And yeah, always always really neat to see another person's building process in in great detail. Because aside from maybe the folks on Hermitcraft, who I obviously follow week to week for the recap, it's uh, I think yours is some of the stuff that I am most frequently updated on. So always cool to see it come together. And that's really what I've been spending the week doing. Uh, so I continued through the weekend with planning in West Hill. I don't have a lot of like screenshots to share because it's all kind of like hard to see building frames and, and whatnot. Uh, but we have essentially put a roof on every foundation or a roof frame, I should say. It's like, so just like a, a ridge line and some, some gable lines to kind of like figure out where the roof lines are going to be. And I've pushed into the trees and started nestling builds into the trees. It's slow going because I'm not chopping down trees unless I absolutely have to. Like if I find out, oh, okay, this tree is now inside this house, it has to come down. But even trees that are like up against houses that are kind of like being cut in half, kind of like, you know how like a chunk will sometimes cut a tree in mm -hmm. half. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm doing that with a, a house right now, I'm not just chopping down the tree. I'm probably going to move it later, maybe refine it, create something custom. But I, I just, I really like taiga forests which is what has happened on the west side of west hill and i i'm just trying to include as many of the original trees as possible part of it is the idea that you know like in these medieval times or this fantasy idea that i have for the zone that these people on this west side of town have more money they're more established things like you know the town magistrate maybe the mayor um people that have more 
um, free time. And so they don't necessarily need to chop down all the trees for function. They can actually live amongst the trees and have some around for decoration. They don't need to burn it for fuel or to live or to cook or things like that. They can mm -hmm. get their wood from somebody else doing that elsewhere in the world. And so I find it, it helps keep the area looking richer. Um, and taking some cues from my time, uh, the break that I took when I was building that flower farm in Somerville, uh, Cosmic has just got so much foliage around in her area on the server that I kind of took the mental note to like kind of include as much flowers and bushes and things. So I haven't done that yet. Obviously, those are going to be details that come later, but I'm trying to leave room. So not pu putting houses right next to the road, like leaving a block or two so you can put a bush or a garden or a flower pot or something you know, to add more color to the area. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of where things are right now. Um, struggling with trying to break the habit of the scale that I was working at for the rest of the city. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a lot of like, you know, seven by nines and five by sevens and maybe an 11, you know, by nine in an L shape. But like in this new place, I'm getting into like combining two or three of those into one building so it's got multiple roof pitches uh some of the buildings have towers uh i'm trying to trying to leave myself enough room inside so that i can do something cool and decorate them rather than just be like bed table that's it i'm done because i don't have any room <laughs> and i'm trying to leave some room for some fancier stuff so the other thing that we went around and did on my started on my birthday and i think we kind of continued through the weekend was plopping little signs in different places so like there's a textile shop there's a flower shop there's a candle shop uh, uh i have another blacksmith but i'm making it a weaponsmith so like i'm going to try to decorate it where where the person's making like swords and like specific like higher skill level stuff yeah. And so that's going to be fun. Um, so we're just trying to brainstorming. Uh, it, it's it's difficult because it's been eight streams of planning this out. And I really haven't completed any build. Uh, I'm at the stage now where I'm trying to select some different materials for roofs. And this is where it's really, even though I'm excited to break out of the gray-brown era, I'm also kind of hard pressed to figure out okay well what what blocks are going to work like do i just want to use terracotta like what roof blocks can i put in here to not have dark oak and spruce everywhere um which is what i've used right now because i just happen to have so much of it it's easy to frame with so but i'm planning on changing things a little bit later so a question to you if you wanted to to change up some of you know roof designs that are not just like things that you see all the time in early minecraft like what are the blocks that you like to use when you're building a roof for say something that's meant to be like a medieval or something of that similar style see i normally give myself license to think outside the box a little bit and inspired by some stuff gemini tay talked about when she first came on the show talking about working with gradients for roofs and stuff right. there's a surprising amount of stuff you can get away with if it looks good from a distance and it looks like part of a roof design so you want to have a more yellow looking roof something that feels a bit more golden you can work in stuff like composters and beehives or bee nests rather and like a couple of things like that the problem with those is that they're usually relatively difficult to get hold of or expensive to craft which is why people default to building roofs out of wood so often is because the plank textures are all relatively similar and you can you know mix and match that stuff plus you can break one log down into four planks and if you're building multiple houses then it doesn't get as expensive as meticulously farming i don't know birch trees over and over again so that you can grow natural bee nests and then dealing with the bees so you can actually place them somewhere but that's the kind of stuff that i think about when i'm doing 
you know, house builds and I'm trying to build something a little bit more complex, I try and think outside the box a little bit and give each house its own character and that way it feels like it's going to stand out from the other things around it. Alternatively, you, you pick one or two houses that you want to be your feature houses and you do those ones with really specifically different roofs and then you maybe give another one a slightly more colourful wall or something like that and I think it's difficult when you're trying to stick with a medieval aesthetic because you still don't want to go like Alice in Wonderland style wacky with it, right? You don't want to have yeah. mushrooms growing out of a roof or something like that. But I think you can at least give yourself a bit of artistic license. And as long as it looks good from a distance, looks good from the air, you're not going to see that much of the roof from ground level anyway. And so whenever you're looking at it from the air, you're not going to be looking at it from up close. It can be from further away, which means you can get away with more you know, varied textures because at a distance they're going to start blending together a bit more. Yeah, the gradient thing is a good thing to, re to remember because some of the builds are starting to get big. Like some mm -hmm. of the roofs are starting to get really large and I don't want them to be all one color. You know, I want them to have a little bit more of a variety to them and that's going to help. Um, but also I, I've, I'm struggling with... Um, like you said, like it is a medieval fantasy zone. Like, so there is some sort of idea. And somebody suggested a um, an explorer's shop so, you know, someone that's selling the weird and wonderful things that you can find at the farthest reaches of Minecraft, like, you know, amethyst shards and ender pearls and like, what are these weird things? And that particular building could be strange or unique. I've got one of them right now that has a dark prismarine roof. And I think that will be fun to play with. Um, it's just a placeholder right now, but having that kind of like different look, you know, having a tower kind of come out the side of it and have it look like more of an eclectic place um, is kind of where I'm going. Uh, I also know that, uh, a lot of my early kind of inspirational research on Pinterest and artstation.com, um, was focused on the more simple buildings early on. And now that I'm into more of the fantasy stuff, I need to look up more, some more reference because I find that I'm kind of like at the end of my visual kind of library of the kind of house shapes. And so I need to try and look some stuff up. I'm trying not to look up other Minecraft builds because I don't end up like just copying something. Um, but I need to change the the uh, proportions. And I've picked up a couple of new roof like angles that I'm really liking, like very slopey. Like I find that if you start to get things really tall, they start to look like barns really fast. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now trying to keep it to be a very concave roof. So it, it has a very shallow, shallow bottom. And then it goes up to a very peaky um, top. We would call them peaky roofs as a joke. Uh, on stream and um that those are going to be fun to mess with and i keep on reminding myself like these roof lines and stuff that i've put in on stream like they're just guidelines like i just want to make sure like yeah okay there's a roof there there's a house there don't block it don't move you know too far outside of that but what it ends up looking like in the end i mean who knows by the time because each one of these buildings is probably going to be a couple of streams of me doing the whole thing like making block choices and details and all that kind of stuff um, but it's funny that you mentioned the key builds because that's absolutely something we were talking about. Like as you're walking down this main road that goes by the keep and curves down around towards the harbor, there's a number of key builds that like when you're walking around the bend, you're staring at this one build that's at like kind of like the 12 o'clock position, like 80% of the time that you're walking down the road because it's yeah. right in front of you. And so that is something that I want to do something special with. Right now it's got a deep slate roof, which looks good, but like it lacks imagination. So I'm looking to try to do something there. There's an inn that you look, when you're coming the other way, you're actually looking at a very big inn, which I'm happy with in that it has like three or four different roof shapes to it. But I tried throwing red nether brick on the roof for something different. 
and it like smacks you in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really harsh. So I'm struggling with adding color, but not not adding color that like is so high contrast with the stuff around it that it, it feels at a place. So we'll see what I can come up with. I'm, I need to start doing more roofs that don't have stairs in them. Like I need to do more block roofs. Mm-hmm. I, I find that it, it's like going against the stream. Like I, I, it's like swimming upstream. I find like, oh gosh, I want more of a slope. Like I, I don't want this to look so chunky, but my gosh, you have so many more blocks to play with when you don't yeah. have to worry about stairs and slabs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I found working with block roofs is difficult at first because yeah, like you said, you want more detail. You want it to feel a little bit more lifelike and it's so difficult to separate the idea that there are just these meter long platforms every so often in your roof but you know it's minecraft we're never going to get the perfect tile roof slope anyway so your your imagination can fill in a lot more of that stuff than you initially give yourself credit for so it's it's worth doing and if you consider that you're kind of doing the same thing with slabs it's just that with slabs you're getting away with there being a shallower slope to begin with i think you know once you get past that you realize actually it's not that different from building with slabs it's just there's a little bit more height involved in it and that opens it up for a lot more interesting details if nothing else you can create like a more elaborate end piece for a roof that can have more of the slabs and stairs in it and then you can you can make the rest of the roof out of blocks maybe like sunk down by a half block and and that allows you to to work with whatever blocks you want to on the inside section of the roof yeah and i've seen uh whip do things like that and mythical sausage when i've looked at some of their builds um i follow them both on instagram as well as youtube so like you get you see that stuff go by and you're like okay yeah right like you can if you use the blocks the roof blocks as more of filler then you can kind of like have it be the color that you see behind the detail and have like walls and fences and, and different things in there and uh, it, it's going to take some some work, but I'm looking forward to the challenge. I, I do need to look up some more inspiration stuff because uh, honestly, a lot of my inspiration right now is also in black and white because they're like 3D renderings or they're little maquettes that d- just haven't been painted yet. Mm-hmm. And so I need to try to find some maybe some more like concept painting or something like that that has more color to it. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think I'm done with the planning at this point. Like I'm ready to move on. And I think the first thing I'm going to work on is the dock. I think that's probably a logical place to kind of start. Um, and it'll ease myself into it because while I want it to be a little bit more elaborate than what I've done before, it's also going to need to be very functional. So it'll be a nice way to ease into something that still has a lot of stone and a couple of towers on it, but will have a little bit more color or a little bit more, you know, interesting things going on. I've been playing Elden Ring for the last couple of weeks. All I want to do right now is build a castle. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm having, I'm having so much like I'm having to stop myself from just going all in on a castle project. But I have, I have plans for that in in the near future. Um, my week has been spent in a bit of a medieval mindset as well. But because I was uh, on the casting desk for another Twitch Rivals event last Tuesday, uh, Minecraft Medieval Mayhem was the theme. Uh, it was all set up by Pika Clicks, who has designed some of the Twitch Rivals maps uh, previously. The VOD is still up on the Twitch Rivals channel if you folks want to check it out. Um, obviously, the main event was, you know, a, a mini game sort of setup where 
multiple teams. I think there were 16 teams of four players, so 64 players total, so making a, a full stack in Minecraft terms. Um, and everybody was being thrown into different minigames and competing against each other in teams of four, which was won by Team False Symmetry, so big congrats to them. Um, there were some really cool events. There was one in which players were basically trying to get past a um an archway that a bunch of other players were sat on top of with crossbows firing down on them um and and so that was really fun there was a uh, a maze i think this was probably the highlight for me was there was a maze in which three players had to guide a fourth player through the maze uh, and this fourth player basically had a bag over their head. Like, it was literally like a a texture pack applied to a carved pumpkin or something like that, but with a, an enhanced blindness effect uh, applied to it. So the, the blind player couldn't see at all, and then they traded off who the blind player was at each checkpoint. So you'd get one quarter of the way through the maze, and then you'd have to switch to the next person. So you couldn't just have one person guiding them the entire way. And that was really fun. It was a, a really neat way of having a team-based event that didn't have to be based around PvP or PvE. It didn't have to be a combat-based situation, which a lot of the other games were. Um, so I think that was really cool. It was a, a very neat way of structuring the event. And as usual, like, you know, casting these events and, and providing the commentary is a lot of fun. Uh, I get to work with some people who I've never worked with in the industry before, and it's always a delight. So, um, yeah, that that was part of my week um the rest of my week in survival guide has been spent working on more technical stuff uh farming is kind of where I, my head is at right now i want to do a lot of building and stuff as well but in terms of the videos i want to make i've just set up a half decent wither skeleton farm finally um previously it was just a set of crossroads at a nether fortress that i'd flattened out and i was you know, I'd spawn-proofed enough of the rest of the fortress and it's in a warped forest, so it gets, like, absurdly high spawns anyway. But I'd spawn-proofed enough of it that all I needed to do was show up at this farm and kind of peek my head in and immediately, like, ten wither skeletons come at me, <laughs> right? So there was, um, you know, pretty obvious uh, output there to begin with. And then all I needed to do was set it up so the wither skeletons were going to fall down a couple of trapdoors, just put a piglin in the middle at a, a height that the, the wither skeletons couldn't reach but could still see him. And uh, suddenly, you know, 25 wither skeleton skulls later, I was doing pretty well. Like, I, it generates a lot of skulls and coal for one that doesn't, you know, bother filtering out other mobs using wither roses yet, although I'll probably come back and revise the design later. There's a lot I can do to optimize it. I got rid of the zombie piglins through having some turtle eggs nearby so they would drop through onto dripstone spikes um, and other mobs just kind of wander over there naturally anyway. So for the most part, it doesn't work 100% in terms of filtering the wither skeletons, but it doesn't need to because it just produces a whole bunch of them in the meantime. That's the kind of thing that is always really fun to work out. You know, like when you're trying to find the farm balance that works right for you and your yeah. needs versus the zeitgeist of what's happening and what like the 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 results that you get when you you know do a youtube search for like wither skeleton farm are usually like gangbusters beyond yeah. what you need mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i i, I got a lot got a lot of comments from people saying like you know you can do this with wither roses and i'm like yeah but i've only fought the wither once in this world and i need to fight the wither again which means 
getting myself some wither skeleton skulls in the meantime you know how i'm doing that with this farm and yeah i, I think a lot of people have seen like tango and impulses with a skeleton farm on hermitcraft right now is just like absurdly productive and you know they're all fighting a hundred withers every minute over there and that's like that's just not what you need and that's the kind of thing where you build a ridiculously overpowered farm so you never need to touch that for the remainder of the year uh whereas in this case i'm just trying to do things in stages and build up to it and we'll have a lot more to say about that kind of stuff in our main discussion this week which is going to be about doing things the easy way versus the fun way and overproductive farms versus productive farms that are just right for you um and outside of that, um, speaking of farms, been working on a guardian farm with a circular perimeter, which I plan on draining uh, for the majority of today. I think it's probably going to be spent placing sand, and I'm going to try using the method where you grow uh, nether trees up from below and use the nether wart blocks that they generate and all of the foliage and stuff to drain the majority of water out of an area, which is a method I've never tried before, but it works really well because you can do it from underneath the monument where no guardians spawn you dry out an area and nether trees ignore other blocks when they grow upwards and so they'll actually skip over the prismarine blocks that form the base of the monument but the tree will continue growing above those into the waterlogged areas and so you can actually use those pretty effectively if you don't have access to a whole lot of sponges i have like a stack of sponges but i want to do half with sand and sponges and then the other half with the nether foliage uh effect and and see which one feels better which one is you know more productive more intuitive faster whatever just kind of provide a bit of data on that front the other thing I've been doing is messing around with slime blocks a lot because I have a slime farm that works now so I've been building um a basalt generating bridge across lava lakes in the nether and now I know a bit more about slime block flying machines I'm a bit more confident designing them for myself I set up one of those bridges that creates like a five block wide basalt platform with different orientations of blue ice and soul soil, blue ice on top, soul soil underneath. And then it gets followed up by a flying machine that pulls up the blocks on either side so that it generates guide rails for the bridge. Um, the other way you can do that, of course, is to push down the center of the bridge so it creates like a lowered platform and the guide rails are just the ones that stay upright. But there's, um, yeah, the, a, a lot of variety that you can add to those. And I know people have made like, you know, tunnels and enclosed bridges and very ornate looking stuff in the past just by having other pistons follow up and move the blocks around. But it's really fun. I, I've been having more fun designing redstone contraptions this season than I have previously. So it's been uh, a lot of fun to do that. There's a number of farms like this that I just don't have, like the the basalt farms that I see, like the, the cobblestone generators. Like I've we've always just had the amount of stuff because we've not been resetting the server every time the yeah. the game updates, and uh, you forget the amount of like cool things that you can do and blocks that you can just generate to do those kind of things. And uh, on one hand, it's like oh I should build that, and then on the other hand, I'm just like well there's there's a potential dig coming up where i'm going to be removing chunks of basalt delta at which point yeah, i might exactly. not have to mine basalt again for the rest of my career and you know as on the server anybody who has just generated a new world and finds that their nether spawn is in a basalt delta goes well i'm not going to need to make a basalt generator because i'm going to be clearing this out for yeah the remainder <laughs> of the year and yeah. yeah no there's there's definitely stuff like that that I, I like to touch on those mechanics just because they exist. That's a lot of what I end up doing in Survival Guide is doing stuff because it's there, not because I really need to. But mm. I think in this case, it's really fun to mess around with these mechanics and see what they're capable of. I do wish that the basalt bridging stuff was 
easier to set up. Like the, the hardest part of those is making sure that you don't have a ton of blocks just peripherally attached to the slime blocks that are going to be moving stuff. And by the time you've set things up and you've troubleshooted and you've made sure that there's nothing attached to it and you've probably taken a couple of fire resistance potions anyway just so you can clear out the lake bed a little bit to make sure the flying machine isn't going to stop halfway, you may as well have built a bridge by yourself. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like it's providing anything that a player couldn't have in the same amount of time. It's just that it's really satisfying watching a redstone contraption fly off and build a bridge for you as you walk along behind it. So... That's the kind of stuff that if if lava lakes in the nether were wider, and they are in some cases, but not in the case of the, the area I was trying to bridge, then maybe it would pay off just based on the distance you had to travel. But realistically, it's just a, a fun project to do, and it's increasing my knowledge of redstone, and there'll be some stuff I can do with that in future that will be uh, worth the payoff, I think. What's the blast resistance of basalt from like a gas attack? I'm pretty sure it's the same as stone as far as ghasts are concerned. Okay. Um, basalt has a different time to break than some other stones. It breaks with haste one, so it's kind of like terracotta in that respect, but I'm pretty sure basalt is ghast proof. Um, the only disadvantage of generating a lot of basalt is that you can't do much with it after that. You have polished basalt that you can craft, and now smooth basalt that you get from surrounding geodes anyway. Uh, but you get that that you can smelt, uh, but you don't have stair or slab variants for any of them. So for the most part, you just tend to, you know, use it in block form. But I can see myself doing a bunch of neat stuff with texturing in future that will involve a lot of basalt. So happy to have revised those mechanics in the meantime. I'm looking forward to hearing more about the Guardian Farm too. I watched that video earlier and it's, I like your block choices there in terms of like the the white versus the prismarine it's gonna look really cool yeah I, I want it to look very clean and stylized and yeah i have some cool ideas for decorating it so yeah we'll get onto that but a lot of work ahead of me uh, in the meantime um a lot of work ahead of us in this podcast as well because we've got to read the news uh, there's not a huge amount of news this week but we do have a bunch of stuff to discuss from it so let's get into it minecraft java edition snapshot 22w17a was released this week as usual we'll have a link to the minecraft.net blog post about that in our show notes for you the main uh, bullet point here is that they've added the goat horn. Uh, the goat horn drops when a goat rams a tree or any other hard block that occurs naturally where goats spawn. So logs, stone, packed ice, iron ore, copper ore, or emerald ore. Other solid blocks are unfamiliar to the goats so it won't ram them. Players can use the horn to play a loud sound that can be heard from afar, and each horn has its own sound based on the goat it originated from. There are eight goat horn variants, and four of them are exclusive to screaming goats. Goat horns can also sometimes be found in pillager outpost loot chests. Changes in 22w17a include the allay connecting with note blocks is now better visualized by vibration particles. The allay connecting with note blocks can now be blocked by wool blocks again, so wool occlusion works for allay connections as well. They've replaced the realm's subtle selected world highlight with a clear green check mark to help out people who are using realms. Uh, they've also updated the brewing stands, base UVs, and texture to match a graphical fix that happened recently in Bedrock Edition. Explosions caused by player-ignited TNT now cause experience to drop from broken blocks, such as ore blocks and skulk, although there is a note that they will be keeping an eye on feedback for that change and it might be changed or reverted in a future update. 
Skulk blocks now have a very low blast resistance to help with that TNT-based mining, and the Warden has had a bit of rebalancing. The Warden's ranged Sonic Boom attack will now bypass shields and armor the same way that Guardian's lasers do. It deals 10 damage instead of 30 damage, and the cooldown has been reduced from 5 seconds to 2 seconds. It also now displays a custom death message. The final change here, and a controversial one, is that Wardens now drop a single Skulk Catalyst upon death. Technical changes in 22W17A include signed chat, a security feature which is explained in much more detail on the Minecraft.net blog post, so go check that out if you're interested in that. And they've also removed the dampenable vibrations game event tag. There are of course a bunch of bug fixes in 22W17A, the highlights of which are a bunch of changes to skulk sensors, such as landing entities like minecarts and armor stands triggering skulk sensors but boats would not. That has now been fixed, along with boats riding over wool being detected by skulk sensors. That has been fixed, so now entities riding over wool will not trigger a skulk sensor. Likewise, projectiles landing on wool will no longer trigger skulk sensors either. Skulk sensors were not activated upon backwards movement in a boat or activated by entities sliding upon ice, but now they should be able to detect both of those. There is a bunch of texture fixes for villagers, zombie villagers, pillagers, witches, and iron golems, and also some fixes for ancient city generations, such as some blocks in ancient city structures could only be covered by skulk veins and weren't converted into skulk blocks on generation. That's now been fixed. Blocks that require support could generate floating in ancient cities. That's been fixed as well. And finally, pillars in ancient cities could generate with waterlogged stairs. That's been fixed. And a bunch of other bug fixes besides are all on the changelog at minecraft.net. Just a clarification on the goat horn. Do we know if the blocks that the goat horn will need to ram need to be naturally spawned, i.e. not placed by the player? Or do they just have to be the kind of blocks that the goats would be quote-unquote familiar with? See, I'm going to assume that if you put a goat in a wooden room, like a, a, a like a plank paneled room or something, so it doesn't know what the oak planks are, but you put a stone block in there, it's going to ram the stone block. So I, I, I get the sense that what they're going for is only blocks from the goat's natural environment can be rammed, but if you move those blocks, then the goat will still know what they are if you put them somewhere else. That That right. is what I would assume happens, because I think otherwise... Yeah, if if they could or couldn't be placed by a player, I feel like there's, you know, a bit of a, um, you know, you can't really do much with that without farming the goats in their natural environment. And it's very difficult to tell what's a natural block and what's a player place block as soon as you've spent a great deal of time making changes in a certain area. Yeah, I think there's been a little bit of confusion about this. And I agree with you. I think that's probably what they mean. And I think some of it comes down to how they described it in the in the notes. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, you just have to be, you have to read it very carefully in just in terms of how it's phrased. It's not the clearest depending on how you interpret it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I agree with you. I think having to go, well, one, having to go that far and out of your way, just similar to amethyst blocks, you know, or amethyst, um, bud, budding amethyst um, blocks, um, to be not able to move them, um, to have that kind of mechanic for goat horns, like I don't see a lot of people being that in incentivized to go and do that. Whereas if you can make a cool farm by placing a, a block that a goat is familiar with in the middle of, you know, an area, you could like, you could have all kinds of fun designing, you know, whatever contraption is going to harvest your goat horns and how the you know, can you see the goats ramming the thing? Like, is it more of like a zoo? You know, there's all yeah. kinds of fun that you can do if it's just a certain number of blocks, which makes sense. 
Um, cause then, cause otherwise if you put a goat in an enclosure, like a farm, because you wanted to have the goat around decoratively, they would just be ramming everything. Yeah. If, yeah it was, exactly. if it was any block, right. They would just constantly be bashing their heads up against stuff, which wouldn't be good either. So I, um, I, I like the idea. Like, I think that's a cool mechanic. I, I don't know how you communicate that to the player though in game outside of like notes and community hearsay, right? Like I, I don't know how you, how that becomes a thing. I mean, maybe there's an achievement that's coming that we don't know about, but I, I, I get it and I understand it, you know, from our conversation about it, but I don't know how a person that's been playing Minecraft for a day, you know, is going to figure out that that's how you get goat horns you know i th I think just through observation more than anything like oh i moved a goat to a paddock and it doesn't ram the fences around it anymore maybe mm. if i let it out again it'll start ramming stuff again maybe it has to be like you know people can assume that it's based on like uh, happiness or the goat doesn't feel like it's cooped up or whatever and then it goes and rams the nearest tree and you're like oh okay it recognizes trees maybe i try putting a tree in there with the goat and you know i i expect a bit of trial and error would probably reveal those mechanics to players although the precise list of blocks is going to be something that would take a lot of trial and error you know mm. can, can this goat ram a cactus yes or no is going to be like you know a couple of people's methodology when it comes to to trying to find this stuff up um yeah I, i'm interested to see if people bother to farm goat horns to be honest mm. because with there being eight variants of them and them only really being a social feature aside from yeah sure everybody on a, a server might want to have one just so they can all stand in a circle and you know toot their horns at each other i don't know for certain if people are going to want to farm them unless they have some other kind of use beyond the social side of things, which according to developers so far, they don't seem to have anything in mind for that. Yeah. I want to be careful not to like completely slam the idea of the goat horn because like there's something for everybody and there's all kinds of age ranges that, you know, could play the game. And I mean, some of the goat horns sort of sound like a fart. Like th there's, th you could have some fun with them, I think, especially with, um, if you combine them with like sneaking up on other players and blowing, you know, surprising them with a loud noise behind them, that kind of thing. Um, I'm just going to file them under the currently not for me category uh -huh. uh, of, of the social additions for the game. Um, and, and I would say, interestingly, that we talked about this the other week, that they fall kind of in the uh, jukebox and music disc section for me, where... I feel like the goat horn would have more appeal to players if you could do something more with it, like having a redstone goat horn doorbell, you know, that's activated by any number of redstone things. Like we've got skulk sensors coming. We've got, you know, there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that, that kind of a thing. And I think it just would be kind of fun if, you know, you're on a multiplayer server and someone's coming up to your, to your home base. And as they walk across the bridge, a goat horn, like sounds to indicate there's someone at your front door mm -hmm. I, you know but until you can do stuff like that then just carrying them around or having them around i mean sure there's the collection aspect of it you know like put them all up on your wall say hey i got all eight of them awesome now what you know i just that's i think that there just needs to be a little bit more to it um i do want to note though that it is i think a cool thing that there is now something in the game that you can hear from more than 15 blocks away yeah so the there's the, the only things I can think of are like you know any kind of sound like if you're if you get an annoying uh, storage system or a piston machine you want to put that 15 blocks away so it doesn't drive you nuts. Then there's this that's much farther than that. I think it was 32 blocks or 64 blocks. I can't remember, but it's long. 
And then there's other things where the entire server can hear you summon the wither no matter what. Yeah. Um, or the, and, the, the ender dragon dying is the same thing. Like boss mobs make sounds yeah. that like the entire server can hear. Right. And I don't know what the range is on a villager raid or a pillager raid. I don't know. Because one of the horns is the pillager horn, right? Like it sounds yeah. just like the pillager horn. <laughs> Which um, is a, an interesting way of trolling your server mates if you're that kind of person. If you want to like, yeah. find one of the ones that makes the pillager raid horn sound and just blow that when somebody's working on something vitally important or has a ton of villagers around or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's neat stuff. But at the same time, like, it just there's potential there to have, like, you know, a bunch of different things in the game that make sounds that travel different ranges. I don't know what those could be used for, but the precedent of the goat horn setting that as, like, we can do this, but we don't know why we're doing it yet. And yeah. that's, I'm, I am curious to see where it might spin off to. It might be that the goat horn never gets past what it is right now, but there might be something down the line that says, hey, that technology that we developed for the goat horn could be applied to this new, I don't know, mob that makes a sound or, you know, a new dungeon that has, you know, vibration puzzles that you have to solve, whatever that could be. I, I do find it interesting that we're getting now a, a variation in, in the length of distance that you can hear things in the game. Yeah, and I do think it's kind of interesting that we're getting a mob that reacts to sound like the Allay and a mob that reacts to vibrations like the Warden, and the Goat Horn is a thing that produces sound but doesn't affect either of them. <laughs> and you kind of think if maybe if they had known that the Allay was going to be voted in, they could have built in an interaction like that sooner and, you know, planned ahead for something like that. And you know the the this is one of my frustrations about the distinction being made between sounds and vibrations when it comes to stuff like the warden because i still think it's absurd that the warden can hear a bunch of other stuff in its environment but you blow a horn near it and it doesn't necessarily detect that <laughs> it seems like it should be the loudest thing and you know we all know sound is vibration anyway but still like yeah, if it's detecting tremors in the ground, fair enough. But it seems like it's able to detect stuff in the open air because its ears are on the top of its head, not on its feet. Um, that's my two cents about the whole thing. But I, I think besides that, there's a couple of changes to the Allay and the Warden in this snapshot that are, are worth discussing here. Um, the Allay is now going to signal through the vibration particle that we see applied to skulk sensors and the Warden as well when it's connecting to a note block and, you know, it, it kind of has a little bit more of a visual indicator in the same way that villagers pairing with workstations having that kind of, you know, emerald-coloured glittery particle is really helpful in distinguishing which villager is tied to which workstation. I think that's that's honestly a pretty good change for player clarity and being able to understand what the LA's behaviour is forecast to be. I agree. I, I think it looks really cool. I can't help but giggle. It does remind me of a Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's collecting it's like, to your, uh, you know, home assistant kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to like press and hold to connect, wait 10 seconds, see if the LA does what you want it to. And it's if it's not... a Bluetooth, Bluetooth mob is what it is, effectively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. It's blue, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that um, I like the inclusion of the wool being able to uh, occlude the sound is you know being able to block it off that yeah. might be really helpful if you've got a number of valets nearby one another and that you want them to go to specific note blocks but not get confused and cross over yeah. if you have wool in between those blocks i think that 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 could help hone that 
Um, but I, I do find that the LA has the same glitchiness as like a, a Bluetooth home assistant. <laughs> so we'll see how that pans out. I still don't think that the toss mechanic is, is great. I know that there's been changes to it, but like, I, I don't know how much they're tweaking it. It still seems pretty random to me. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that's probably going to have to be like water assisted or something. So they toss it at a water block or like into a stream that's then going to lead into a hopper. Maybe I don't know. There's mm-hmm. there's some go betweens that you have to kind of work in there, and we'll we'll see how it works. But yeah, like the idea of maybe having the allay in loose lanes, I guess, so that it you know goes back and forth to the output from a farm and it's picking up blocks from that. That might be. Uh, might be mm. something that's that's worth doing. We'll 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 see if the LA continues to have tweaks and stuff, but there is potentially a little bit more functionality and a little bit more intuitive behavior at work there. Um moving on to the warden. This is the one that's really got my goat, no pun intended. I think them <laughs> adding the skulk catalyst as a drop for the warden is a mistake. They've they've held out on whether or not the warden is going to have a drop they've been saying for a while that it hasn't or if it has it's not going to be something that's especially useful and now they've given us something that players could reasonably want to farm from the warden and i've no idea why i mean it it encourages players to farm it if you give it anything that is useful and you know despite all of the anti-cheese mechanics they've given it recently the warden is in its current state i, I will give it that demonstrably easy to farm you know, I've seen screenshots of a couple of people just with, like, a few water streams and something that's going to distract the Warden into walking in there, and it will fall into powdered snow or anything else that will deal damage to it. It's not damaged by drowning or lava right now, so it will still die relatively slowly, but I think it's it's still inescapably going to die in some situations, and it just... Like it, it feels like it takes away so much of the gravity that the warden has had up until this point. You know, it. I don't think everyone's going to go this route. It's not the first thing that occurs to you when you encounter the warden as a casual player. But when players inevitably look up, like, can you farm the warden? And they get something that's, you know, three blocks and a piece of string is going to be a solution to killing this thing. I... I feel like the warden starts to look a little pathetic as a result, which is really not what you want from a mob that's had this much build-up and this much, you know, character put into it. So, yeah, I start to worry about that kind of stuff when the impact of something as big as the warden has to be balanced with players' desire to farm it or, or you know, kill it in some way or another. I agree. I, I think that the warden shouldn't drop anything. And to push it further if it's not meant to be killed if like that that's not the engagement that you want your players to have make it unkillable have it be the first mob in the game that you just can't kill you know um you have to avoid it you have to wait for it to go away you have to trick it into going away that's the only way to get around it uh if that was the mechanic they wanted people to take then that's what they should just stick to um and i and the drop is like nominal like i you know it's sure people might want it but like it also feels like well if this is this difficult to fight should it not give you something more valuable um but i i agree with you on like how easy it is to farm um on the flip side though they've nerfed the damage and the ranged attack and i think it's a good theory because then it's not one-shotting you because that doesn't feel good right yeah Mm -hmm. but then they've increased the frequency of it and it's bypassing shields and armor, which I don't think is going to be fun. I think it's going to be frustrating. I mean, remember, the warden can smell you, even if you're not sneaking around. And the ranged attack, I believe, can pass through walls unless they change that again. Yeah. But 
it's not that much of a nerf. Like five, every six seconds, or no, what was it? Five seconds from 30 damage down to 10 damage every two seconds. If you want to average that out, that's a drop from six damage a second to five. It's not that big of a change. Yeah. Uh, And the higher frequency means that you're going to be shot at more, like much more frequently, and you have to remember to block it. And there's not going to be as much of a, uh, uh, a timing thing. Like if it was happening every five seconds, then you have that buildup to know when it's going to like rear its head and do its thing. But if it's happening every two seconds, there's not even a lot of time for that animation to play between how often it's using its, its, you know, sonic attack. And uh, I mean, like that combined the current state of the warden combined with the state of loot in the ancient city. And like, I don't have a reason to go and I'm sad. Like, I don't want this to be the way that I feel about the warden, but the more that they kind of release about it, the less I feel like it's done and ready. I feel like it's just kind of like reactive as opposed to proactive to what's the, what the, the community is saying. And I, I know that there's a lot of work going into this and the ancient cities are cool, but it's just like, I, I don't see it being a fun mechanic if, if this is the way that it's going to go. Like you've got, it's almost like it's got the two extremes on, on the same mob. Like it's easy to farm. There's something to drop and people end up doing that. But on the flip, the people that don't want to farm it and they want to go to the ancient city and move around and do stuff in there. It's also going to be crazy lethal and really hard to defend yourself against. Like what's the point of having armor in the game if, the if the the attack from this thing bypasses everything well to clarify it's only bypassing the natural defense that armor provides regardless of enchantments so like the extra armor value that gets added to it uh it's not bypassing the effect that armor enchantments have on the player so protection in protection enchantments will still will will still prevent some of that damage to you it's just that okay. the the armor and the armor toughness values aren't kicking in um and so yeah like having protection four on all of your armor is still going to reduce the amount of damage that stuff like that does because if you, if you think about it guardians attacks work the same way but it's still worth wearing armor to go and raid an ocean monument um they'll bypass all of the you know the diamond armor that you're wearing but they'll still deal less damage if you have protection um so you know in in theory you could go in with leather armor with protection four and you'd still have the same effect against the warden or some guardians right like that's sort of the way it works i have a feeling that the guardians thing is maybe a hybrid maybe i'm I'm not quite on right on the right track about that but i think it it still deals a certain amount of base damage that bypasses your armor um so yeah potentially there is still a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for people who will need to avoid the warden once it gets angry at you um but yeah i i i do i i worry about it but i still think it's good to be put in the game now like if you think about the changes they made to villagers in 1.14 they were still refining those several decimal points down the line like we didn't really get the final version of village and pillage villager trading until 1.14.4 and the same goes for like iron golem spawning mechanics and stuff like that the stuff that leads into iron farms so I think there's still room for them to make refinements to it once it's in the game. The reason they have to be reactive instead of proactive right now is because, you know, the players are experimenting with it on such a rapid basis that, you know, there can't really be any mystery left in it at this point. They have to make some pretty solid moves 
as as to how this thing is going to be avoidable or in whatever circumstances defeatable so it, it's it's difficult it it's hard to make it feel like they're not just providing countermeasures to everything while still making it a relatively fair experience for players who are going to go into this without having seen the warden before difficult but i think still fun um speaking of the warden there's a couple of interesting emails that we have this week regarding echo shards which we've talked about previously and the, there might be some more reasons in the near future to go down there to the ancient cities and find some of these so uh how about you kick us off with our first email joel absolutely uh if you'd like to email the show the email address is spunchunkmail at gmail.com that's the only one we check please send it to that uh, and we've had a number of emails about Echo Shards, so I had to do my best to pick out the ones that were the most imaginative uh, and uh, and thoughtful. The first one comes in from Shunosaurus, a landscape artist member. The subject is Echo Shards and Note Blocks. Good morning, Pix and Joel. I was listening to episode 188 and your discussion about Echo Shards, and I was wondering if they could somehow work with Note Blocks. What if you could craft a new Note Block type, an Echo Note Block? by surrounding an echo shard with wood like you do when crafting regular note blocks with redstone. This new echo note block could then learn a mob's sounds by having a mob that is killed near it like a skulk catalyst, although probably with smaller range. And after the echo note block has learned that sound, it could be tuned to play different sounds and then playing it would make that sound and attract mobs of that type, similar to how zombies are attracted to turtle eggs or villagers to a workstation. This would give a greater incentive to visit the ancient cities for better mob farming mechanisms and would give a sorry and would pave the way to, for many players to prank by say using creeper hisses or ghast screams on demand. Shenosaurus jumped out of his chair when he heard the echo note block scream like a ghast. <laughs> and um yeah, kind of an interesting mechanic at work here and obviously playing into the sound side of echo shards which i like i'm always interested in ideas like this and i do like the idea of it reproducing mob sounds in a way that is more useful to the player than how a parrot does that right now right because mm, like mm -hmm. a, a parrot will will make you know zombie piglin noises if you leave it too close to your nether portal or it'll make pillager noises if a patrol has been nearby it'll make creeper noises that yeah again make you jump out of your skin and then you realize that it's actually just the parrot um i think the idea of this attracting specific types of mobs though might be a little too powerful um and it has the potential to make some other mechanics sort of obsolete um like you know skeletons running from wolves and the kind of stuff that you use to sort different mobs if you've got a general mob farm you know right. cats cats run away uh sorry creepers run away from cats uh, skeletons run away from dogs um zombies pathfind towards certain mobs like villagers or turtle eggs or various things like that and so there's there's a few things there that a it sort of makes obsolete from early game and then b tying this in a little bit ahead of our main discussion are players going to take risks for something like this when from pretty early in the game you have access to things like dogs and turtle eggs that are easier to get hold of and you can already use that kind of stuff to sort mobs. I think the only benefit from this then comes from, okay, it can make witch giggling noises that prompt witches to walk in that direction. And that's one of the outliers from these hostile mob farms that you don't really have a great way of dealing with. I'm, I'm kind of curious about, you know, if, if it would have that kind of effect, then maybe. But I worry that it's 
too much of an overcorrection. It makes it too useful, and then that makes other parts of the games less useful by association. Yeah, and having like it's a good example with like the the zombies and the villagers or the the turtle eggs, you know, because you've got those mechanics in the game. But then, like, if it, I guess it depends on how badly you want to go to the ancient city, right? Like, yeah, if using an echo shard. If you could, and this is the other question that I had, like, does it have to be a hostile mob? Does does it have to be something that's killed? Like, what if similar to a note block where you place the note block over different blocks to get a different musical instrument, you could place a different block under the echo note block to produce a different sound. Is that sound limited to hostile mobs? What if you could make a villager honk? Not that you'd want to, but if you could do that rather than using a villager to bait zombies or other mobs, then, I mean, that becomes a lot easier than having to move villagers around. I find that appealing. I find that overpowered, but I find that appealing. But then you've um, got to, you've got to kill a villager near this echo note block in order to have it make the sound. It's the concept well, as well. Like it, the, if, the if sacrificial it's a kill element. thing, yes. Yeah, yeah. If it's a kill thing, yes. But if, if it's just a, if it's just a block that you put, like if maybe like an oak plank does a villager noise underneath an echo block, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if it's just a placement thing rather than a hostile or a, or a, a killing thing, like a sacrificial thing, you know, like I wouldn't have any problem killing a cow or a chicken near it just to make it moo or, or cluck. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, but then again, why would I want to do that? Like, there's no reason to have those noises happen uh, outside of maybe annoying someone on your server. You know, every time they walk into their house, there's a moo that happens and they can't find the cow. Yeah. Um, like that, that kind of stuff. And so like, I, I, I appreciate the imagination behind it. I, I agree with you though on that. I, I don't think replacing existing mechanics with other ways is, is a good way to do it. But I like the idea of using the echo shard with like a note block or a jukebox or some other sound related thing in the game to then augment its performance or abilities in in some way and yeah. uh i i want to give a shout out to to shenosaurus and and the other uh emailer we have this week uh, guns and chips because they were two of the few emails that we got that weren't I want to put an echo shard on a sword or shield so I can beat the warden. Like that was a, the majority of the emails that were coming in, yeah. which is mm-hmm. again, a valid opinion and a valid thought. It was just that there was a lot of them and I wanted to pick out something that was a little bit different. That wasn't just like a counter to the warden. And I thought that this one was one of the more imaginative, imaginative ones. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the second email since we mentioned it. Uh, this one comes in from Guns and Chips, who is once again, a landscape artist member of our discord. And the subject is echo portals. Good morning, Joel and Pix. I've been inspired by Joel's mention of the fast travel system on the Citadel in last week's show, as well as the portals in the stunning pixel art strategy game Kingdom. Suppose using an Echo Shard on an ancient city portal would activate the shard, allowing you to use it on a regular deep slate frame anywhere else in the world. That would convert the regular deep slate to reinforced deep slate and would establish a link between the new reinforced deep slate frame and the frame in the ancient city used to activate the Echo Shard. After the portal is established, there could be a lower cost to use it, going with the skulk theme, maybe you kill a mob inside the portal frame to activate it each time. This would provide a consumable use for the Echo Shard, giving players reason to seek out ancient cities beyond their first few trips, without forcing a huge amount of exploration, as they used fairly rarely. What are your thoughts on this idea? Take care, Guns and Chips fell asleep trying to stay up and listen to the Spawn Chunks live recording at 2am his time. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's it's 2pm for me, so on the other side of the world, I feel you, I feel you. <laughs> I, I Again, I, I applaud the imagination behind it. 
And while I don't know what the programming mechanics and game mechanics behind it would be, um, I think the idea of using the Echo Shard for what I found because of the different locations in this made me think of echolocation, which mm -hmm. is, you know, what what bats and other, you know, sonar using animals would use to, to locate prey or find their way around to navigate. And I think it's an interesting idea. I also, similar to your opinion about like negating systems that are already in the game with a Sonosaurus's email, I don't think that this would be something that would be implemented because it would then undermine the use of the nether for fast travel, which was kind of like how the nether was designed to be. Yeah. Um, but as someone that uses command block fast travel on a server where we need to travel 10, 20,000 blocks, which is even far by nether standards sometimes, um, if even if you do the math on that, uh, when you have to go back and forth a lot, I, I like the idea of like, there's a lot of effort. You have to go, you know, avoid the warden, collect an echo shard. It's not just make a, a flint and steel and you're good for a while. It's like, once you use the echo shard, like if you want to make more than one of these, then you've got to go get another one. Mm -hmm. uh, so depending on the rarity of them, I think that could be cool. Um, I, again, I just, I just am not sure about the ability to travel that far on, on the overworld you know, with just a single portal, it's a lot to set up. And you've got the, the problem of like, if you're going from the ancient city to your destination, great. If you're going back the other way, you're teleporting into the ancient city, which is a hostile environment. Unless you, yeah. I guess, I guess you could remove all of the different, like it would take some time. I guess you could remove all the different skulk catalysts and, and shriekers and things like that mm -hmm. and, and go from there. But, um, I don't know. Like, where do you feel about, like, how do you feel about this? Do you think it's a balanced idea or do you think it leans too far in I one think way the, or the other? The balance is provided by the fact that you can't move the deep slate portal frame right. in the ancient city. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a, it's a, not a one way trip, but it's a, um, I mean, it could be a one way trip even, but it's also like it's a fixed point that you're going to right you can link anywhere to there but it's not like in the nether where you can customize where the portals go and link from this place to that place it's it's much more of a fixed point in the world and so it'd be like warping directly to the stronghold for example right um i i like that idea and it, it allows for a um, a more kind of yeah a, a distance approach to travel also ties in with echo shards existing use in recovery compasses right creating some sort of link to a distant location and you know they've even included something about the the death in there again like this this week has been all about echo shards and reasons they can be used to sacrifice mobs nearby um i i do worry that teleportation is maybe too powerful a mechanic um and yeah it depends because if you're if you're converting the regular deep slate of whatever portal you've made into reinforced deep slate, that also creates the issue of being able to create reinforced deep slate anywhere. And if it's an unbreakable, unmovable block, then you can use that to trap players as though you've got a handful of bedrock that you can build around somebody, right? So I feel like mm. that's that's got its potential for griefing, which is always a bit of a touchy subject. But yeah, I, I do think there's there's pros and cons to this implementation of the idea. But once again... While chunk mail is fast becoming this week's ideas for echo shards, it's this is not a criticism. It's it's a sign that the community wants them to do something else. 
And the fact that they keep coming back to the frame in the center of the ancient city is also the mystery behind that frame is one of the unanswered questions of this update. And so it's really interesting to hear people's ideas framed around these things because we're used to there being answers to these things further down the line. And we're used to some, you know, uses for items coming up, if not in the same update, then maybe in future updates that are going to shed some light on some of this stuff. So I am I am curious about that, and I think it's it's cool to hear some of these ideas. Moving on, though, our main discussion this week is going to be about doing things whether you want to do things the easy way or the hard but fun way. And as you said, Joel, we got a lot of emails from people saying, you know, the Echo Shard should be used as you know, a weapon that's going to make it easier to fight the Warden. And we've been talking about the, the way the Warden is potentially easy to farm now that you can farm it for a, a drop there are a lot of low effort high reward resource farms out there and it's something that mojang is constantly trying to balance about the game as we've seen in things like nerfs to afk fish farms in the past and various other bits and pieces but then should players always take the easiest route to success is the discussion i want us to have and it's been coming up more and more for me recently. I, I recently decided I need to start reframing my Minecraft survival guide series so that viewers don't just expect it to be a guide to the easiest way to do things, because I often find putting in a bit more effort and putting in the effort to, let's say, drain this guardian farm that I'm now building, right? I'm building like a, a circular perimeter wall around the outside. I'm getting rid of all of the water, but designs exist out there to just pop down a few soul sand bubble columns and a bunch of nether portals and bam, all of your guardian drops come out of the nether on the other side. I don't want to do that because I like the spectacle, like the, the hard but fun way of designing something that feels a little bit more unique to me and also you know, gets to put some effort into the aesthetics and, and you end up designing something that looks kind of more industrial and and cool. Um, so how do you feel about this for a start? Like when you're designing farms on the Citadel or when you're, you know, looking for farms, if you're looking for a tutorial, if you're not going to design it yourself, do you go for the one that's just like the most straightforward? Is there a balance to be struck there? Uh, how do you approach that? The balance for me is usually about visuals. Um, because I'm a builder, I guess by heart, but I also really like redstone and fun contraptions and take a, a lot of joy out of like straight lines and clean edges and things that are very functional. Uh, I often take the, we'll say it the hard, but fun way, because it means that I want it to look good. Mm -hmm. And so many of the farm designs that you see probably for just the efficiency of making a decent YouTube video is that like, if it's a 10 minute video, you're not going to include another 10 minutes of decorating it and making it look good yes like you're going to yeah. just let leave that up to the people that are that are taking it in but as a result i find that a lot of the farms that i see people reproduce uh in their own worlds are just what they've seen in the youtube video and it's just like it's a floating platform of an iron farm <laughs> you know like yeah. just it's the not not very often do i see people building something entirely around it i mean some do but like not not everybody by and large i see most of the time it's just like a, it's just the farm itself is functioning and then it's just kind of sitting there doing its thing um, but for me the, on the Citadel, because there's only six or seven players, really four of us being regularly active and only a two of us, I want to say are into the redstone farming thing, really like we don't, we look at those farms and how complex and large they are and think like, we don't even need half of this stuff. Yeah. And so it does become a, a nice way to balance. Like, yes, that's the easy way to get stuff, but, uh, like, what are we going to do with 40 K items? 
mm-hmm. coming out of a farm every hour. Like we don't need that. So it opens up an idea. It's like, okay, well, what if we build it half the size? What if we make it less efficient, but more fun by creating these waterways that sip items around uh, and do that kind of thing? And then one, it becomes more manageable from an output perspective for us. Uh, you don't need a storage system that's, you know, a hundred miles long. And, and also it, it, um, it provides an opportunity to be more creative with it. Cause I, I really like my items flying around. I don't know whether that's just because I started Minecraft before one thirteen, but like, it's still a novelty for me to be, zoop items around with water streams. I think it's hilarious and fun and, and has a very satisfying, um, motion in what is a very static game a lot of the time. And, um, taking the time to adapt a farm very often when I'm bringing in a farm, I'm usually adapting it, dumbing it down to not only just fit our needs from a numbers game, but also like, I want it to look cool when people walk by, or I want to, um, kill, um, farms in a fun way. I, I don't want to hijack well, no, he did it on a stream. So Alistair on this on the server has a sugarcane farm. And um, because the sugarcane farm that we made near the meadows is not loaded anymore because no one's there. Like no one's in the starter zone. Everybody's on their own kind of like big plot of land. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted his own sugarcane farm. And his sugarcane farm is triggered by a random chicken dying in lava. Like there's there's no light. He could have done it with a light sensor. He could have done it with a daylight sensor just fine. But he just like, nope, I'm just going to make it fun. You know, like I, I want to watch the chickens walk back and forth and eventually trip off into lava. And then that's what triggers the farm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good example of what you're talking about is that like he could have built the sugarcane farm in 15 minutes, <laughs> you know, but he took an entire stream because he wanted to do the chicken thing. And I, I think that kind of stuff is where Minecraft really shines with the number of ways that you can use, you know, the game to trigger different mechanics and, and do different stuff. And uh, on one hand, like, I understand like all the mob AI farms that are like super efficient and 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 remove the the mobs from the world immediately with like nether portals and that's cool but like if I'm going to take the hours it takes to build like 19 or 20 platforms I want to see stuff flying around. I want to yeah. see the rain of skeletons and spiders and zombies coming down or whatever it is I'm doing. I want it to look like I've accomplished something, you know? Yeah, I, I think one of the most satisfying aspects of doing a lot of stuff in Minecraft, but like the, the farming, the technical side of things in general, is when things can feel kinetic, you know? It's the mm-hmm. kind of the kind of thing that they were looking for when Mojang gave us the three options for this year's mob vote was, you know, a copper golem that can walk around and push buttons, um, you know, the, the Allay bringing items back and forth and the glare kind of floating around and looking for dark spaces. And all of those gave a little bit more life to the area, which right now is difficult to do unless you're using actual mobs and more often than not the mobs are like the product of the farm or at least the middleman that's bringing the product to the area where you farm the product and so it makes more sense for elements of the farm if you want it to have that sense of animation and movement and life to be moving parts to be pistons and you know slime block flying things and that kind of stuff it's the stuff that inspired me to build my copper aging facility. It's, you know, it's not the most optimal solution to the problem of copper needing to age a certain way, but once I've built it, it's big and it's pretty and it's really satisfying to use. And that's the stuff that I like. I, I like being able to have something that's not the most practical, minimal, you know, minimum amount of redstone components, minimum amount of, you know, player input to maximum output kind of approach, but I think it's still fun to do. 
On the other hand, I still think it's important that the quick and productive farms exist because people can't always commit 12 hours of their time to a larger project when, you know, they're busy adults, they've got stuff to do, they've, you know, only got a couple of hours a week to play Minecraft, if that, sometimes. So they want to be able to have a farm that they can whip up in an afternoon with a couple of friends and then leave that to go for a while and then come back to it later. But I do think it makes sense for people to broaden their horizons in that respect and try and move away from the mentality of that the most optimized, the most efficient kind of thing is how you have to play Minecraft. And I, I think there's probably only a fraction of the player base that actually thinks this way, but I do think that the easy way is not always going to be the most fun. I see a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I've built this, that, and the other farm, and everything is farming itself around me. Why do I feel so bored? <laughs> and it's it's more than more often than not because these farms have been put together with without the creative intent behind them sometimes and more just as a I need to farm this thing what's the most straightforward way of doing that and you've got to have something to do with the product but you also got to make the farm itself into something that feels more like a an achievement in itself like something fun and colorful and that you can look back on and go that is like something that I would never have dreamed up in my imagination but there it is and it works really well um, I, I like that kind of stuff a great deal. A couple of other examples before we move on quickly. Uh, Tango Tech built a piglin bartering setup on Hermitcraft recently, which launches the piglins around a Ferris wheel frame using slime blocks because it's fun, <laughs> you know? Like, mm -hmm. you can just trap 16 piglins in a booth and fire gold ingots at them, and then you get more piglin drops than you would ever need. But instead, you can do something that juggles them around and probably, honestly, feels quite cathartic for the amount of times that piglins attack you when you're walking through the nether without gold armor and you're not prepared. And then uh, I think Doc M is planning to make a shulker shell farm this season that is more fun and has more interesting elements to the design after having made a farm in Season 8 that was so efficient that even the Hermitcraft server, with all of their, you know, shulker box power users and like 20 of them playing actively at its peak, couldn't find enough to do with the shulker shells, and it, the farm was just far too overproductive. And I think it's still important that those farms exist because you can run them once and never have to run them again, but you've got to do something creative with them first, which Hermitcraft is still really good at doing. A lot of the folks on there are great at incorporating that stuff into a theme, but the farm itself, when it's just bare bones, can be you know a relatively straightforward affair that just leaves something to be desired i think tango tech is a really good example because year after year when he does an iron farm for all of the iron that he wants to use in his redstone and hoppers and all that kind of stuff he always comes up with a unique way to kill the golems you can always just drop them into lava everybody knows this but you know if it's something that he's going to do every season like it's going to get boring mm -hmm. you know so you come up with some cool inventive ways to do that kind of stuff and i really like that kind of thing like it's there's always a balance i think for me too because like because of what you mentioned like with the busy adults thing and, and the time on the server it's like i want to build a farm and if i'm going to spend tons and tons of time on it it has to look good and be satisfying and also produce a certain number of things whereas if i'm going to be spending a lot of time on it and and it only produces so much, or if it doesn't feel very satisfying, then it's just like, well, like, do, do I really want to spend the time? Um, and then the reverse of that, I know we've talked about this before. You have to remind me about what the specific mechanic is, but I think it was like a zero tick bug or something. It was farming like bamboo and 
sugarcane and stuff like that with like piston heads and yeah it was it was really easy to set up like really easy and you just got a ton of stuff but it was really boring mm-hmm. like yeah and and it and because but because of the yield it was so hard for players to resist the temptation of doing it that way because you just got so much stuff and it made your life so much easier if you're a busy adult on a server and you need smelting material like um i you know, like I've started to even wonder how how overpowered even just the natural growth of bamboo is. I have four bamboo stalks in my storage room on the Citadel right now. And every time I walk by on one of my breaks, which is once an hour, I chop them all down. I've got like nine stacks of bamboo right now. Now, that's not a lot of smelting material, but what I was wanting for, from it was extra scaffolding. Well, yeah. now I've got more scaffolding than I'm ever going to need. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take that long, you know, and I, and it was something that could happen in the background. And... That's the kind of thing too that I find with with the farms is that very often the location of them to be the most efficient can sometimes not be the most uh, attractive or the most frequented by players. Uh, and while I really admire the the inventiveness of Tango Tech's um, Piglin Ferris wheel, I really don't like that it's on the roof of the Nether. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. I, I looked at that. I thought that's amazing. What a waste that it's in this giant flat nothing. You know, like, it, I, and I understand that he wanted to do it close to his piglin gold or zombie fight piglin gold farm, which is right next door. I get it. But I just think like, wow, what a cool opportunity. What if that whole thing was like decorated with black stone and was like underneath the nether in a place that had a cool environment? Like maybe you're in a crimson forest or, you know, whatever. And I just think that there, it was a missed opportunity to have such a cool build in such a bleak landscape. It's one of the reasons why on the Citadel we've decided as a server to not build on the roof of the nether because, yes, it is way more efficient to have our zombified piglin donut farm up there. But it's way more entertaining to watch me try to dig a tunnel underneath a lava lake, Mm -hmm. you know, to to try and construct the monstrosity that I have. Now, the downside is that I have another farm that's the... um, it's the same crossroads wither skeleton farm that Iskel built a couple seasons ago and it's in the nether, but I have to then slab, which I have not completed, um, 128 block radius, you know, from where I AFK at that thing. And it's not efficient because I just haven't completed that monotonous task of creating that perimeter. Uh, we've done most of the perimeter on the gold farm. So the gold farm does okay, but it does okay by the Citadel standards. It doesn't live up to, what that farm is capable of depending on on better locations for it yeah no it's not the 114,000 drops per hour or whatever kind of things no. like it's it's absurd some of the, the the rates you get from those and i think the real question becomes you know is the farm just a means to an end or do you plan on making it into a feature of your world because the thing i love about the fact you've got a zombie pigman donut farm in the nether cavern on the citadel is people are going to see it you know people mm-hmm. are going to go yep. past there or like they fly through and they go wow there's this massive thing built there and i feel like on the nether roof it doesn't even load in when you're standing on the nether roof because of the fog you have to fly up to even see it uh, and so yeah the, there's there's so many aspects of that for me that i feel like are just you know part of the aesthetic side of things and it's part of the reason that I prefer building on the surface compared to building in caves, even though the caves are gorgeous in this update and they look fantastic and I'm building in a dripstone cave right now and I wish some of that stuff was on the surface because then I think, well, I could see all of this stuff as I was flying over and it looks like I've made an impact on my world. And if that kind of stuff means something to you, then it makes sense to build farms as a feature 
even if that is at a sacrifice of the ease of setting them up or the efficiency of you know once they're they're up and running i will concede that some stuff just runs better behind the scenes and some stuff like the yeah the, the means to an end for me is like the enderman farm that i have right now is very simple to set up it's nembon's ender mini you just make a spawning platform as low as possible in the void surround it with leaf blocks to encourage pack spawning you set up an endermite somewhere all the endermen run in you're killing endermen constantly and they never run out um and the thing is for that it's just so that i can go and repair my tools as quickly as possible between mining things when i'm you know strip mining out an area with a beacon or something like that it's it's convenient for me because it means that i don't have to take so much time away from doing all of the other stuff i want to do in the meantime and that's really the trade-off for me and as far as resources go ender pearls while they're useful circumstantially are not something that i'm using all of the time <laughs> and so yeah i i think there is there is a certain amount of low effort for relatively low reward as long as you consider that yes you're repairing your tools every so often um one last point i want to make on this is that i think mojang despite what people will say is doing a great job at introducing interesting options for players and i think skulk sensors are probably one of my favorite recent examples of like they're pretty powerful everyone saw the fact that yeah there's a thing that is now a motion detector and thought wow griefers are going to be the most dangerous people ever at this point because there's no way of seeing that coming until it's too late but you know they're potentially dangerous to acquire they're hard to find and you can farm them via more complex methods once you start to um you know once once you've got hold of a skulk catalyst and you can set up a farm somewhere for those but it still feels like an adventure to do that it still feels like it feels like you have to put in a lot of effort to get the reward out and that's what i think balances the echo shard idea from uh, guns and chips's email is the idea that it is gated behind a trip to an ancient city and a certain amount of commitment to hours of gameplay in order to find one of those and and that's sort of the case with skulk sensors even though they provide a pretty you know great way of detecting players being around we can already do that stuff with puffer fish and pressure plates and those kind of things and so what the skulk sensor provides is more depth to mechanics like that it might feel like a shortcut to some people but it feels like an adventure for other people and while iron farms were made pretty easy by 114 villager mechanics that was a compromise to allow villagers to react to threats faster and players can still find inventive ways of building them you just need to ha make the decision to do something more inventive you need to have that aversion to well there's this big floating platform up in the sky let me build something different to that even if it means building it on the ground and having to spawn proof a larger area against golem spawning and you know cover up caves and that kind of stuff I feel like our need for resources in the case of iron farms supersedes our desire to make things more unique but i think that desire to make things more unique is coming back through in a lot of the stuff that i'm seeing creators sharing online and so i'm hoping that that's a trend the minecraft community is moving towards is instead of building the same farm designs over and over again how can we make this more creative and make it more compatible with the creative vision that we have for a world i think that that's that's the cool factor coming in you know it's 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 like i i've mentioned you know early on in our conversation pre-show i can turn on my xbox with a controller or i can turn the xbox with my voice 
it's way cooler to use my voice. I still have to pick up the controller to play the Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's it's redundant. Like I can I can do it one of two ways. Now the voice command con- connects a couple of different things and like lights come on when I use my voice and and it, they don't come on when I use the the controller. But I think it's similar with redstone stuff. Like I mean if you can just make, you know, an iron golem farm the old-fashioned way and dump them into lava, that's fine. Um uh one of the examples that I think is is a good way to um to wrap it up is I don't remember what season it was, but ZF on Hermitcraft used a potion brewing redstone contraption. And I mean, it was massive because he was like dumping things into water streams and they would all have to fall into the brewing station at the right order in order to brew the right stand. So there was redstone timing. Like it was faster to just brew the portion that you want, Mm -hmm. right? Manually. But, and there was no reason to create this other than just content and because he wanted to. And I just thought like, that is really cool. Like it's, and it's, and it's a good example of like an incredibly inefficient way to make something look really awesome uh, and do something very basic. And I'm hoping like you, that things start to go that way. Like find that balance between, you know, like I'm curious about Doc Shulker Farm now, like, because if it's something that's cool, but not as efficient as the other one, that's great because the majority of players out there don't need the, the top tier efficiency. They're, they're, certainly good with you know kind of like the middle level and if you can do something that that looks good too or provides some sort of fun mechanic or especially if it makes people laugh like if Mm -hmm. there's just some funny way you know to to do something then then i think that that's um that's worth it in in a way like i i feel like if you can just find a, a an inventive silly way um because minecraft can be pretty silly you know to 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 do those kind of farms. And I think that that's, that's, I think even a, a more worthwhile exploration before just defaulting to, to the easiest way to make a farm. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And uh, hopefully some of our listeners agree. So if you've taken this approach to designing a farm recently, if you just come up with something wacky and you want to share it with us, then right into the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's where we're going to leave this episode of the spawn chunks though. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the The music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value after the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and you can participate in things like our live show recordings the monthly minecraft audio hangout and some other hangouts that we do throughout the year we're currently at 336 patrons which is down seven from last week as patreon does its usual reshuffling and last week's patreon count was 343 so we would love to reascend to those heady heights over the next couple of weeks but in the meantime special thanks to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm and say, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. That's where I have an online shop, too, by the way. And uh, I have a book. I wrote a book. Do people know that I made a book? Maybe you don't. Uh, it's Starcrossed. It's a comic book. You should check it out, joelduggan.com. And my other podcast is at thecizzlecafe.com. That is about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, talking with Stephen ESC this coming week. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media and joelduggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's not easy, but it is fun. Mm -hmm.